Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, it's part two of our look back at some of the RC360 highlights from 2018, including the Bowler Trailer's 50th anniversary, the Wall-to-Wall Festival, and a couple of our road trips to museums in Manitoba. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's Year in Review episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to RC360. Nolan and Robert here with you for the first show of 2019. Robert, how's uh, this new year treating you so far? So far, so good, Nolan. Welcome back. How, Thank you. Uh, how about yourself? I'm well rested. Uh, went back to Russell, Manitoba for the week. Spent some time with family and friends. Always enjoy going back home and just kind of relaxing and enjoying the uh, the festive Christmas spirit. It was really nice to see everybody and have a good time. Was Santa Was Santa generous to you this year? Santa was good. <laughs> good to hear. <laughs> no, it was a good. It was a good holiday season, as you mentioned. Always nice to uh, spend some time with uh, with family. What was one of your What was one of your highlights? Uh, you know what? It's always good playing games with the family uh, after dinner. Oh we yeah, usually play a lot a, of laughs, a bunch of board games, for sure. Games on the TV. So yeah, excellent. A lot of fun. Good to hear. Well. 2018 is gone. It's kind of weird to think about that, eh? I know. I was I was mentioning to Sunny last week that, uh, you know, it seems like the year has gone by so fast and it's hard to believe we've done four years of RC360 at you this point. You blink and you're gone. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, so it's 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 always fun to kind of look. We've done this, I mean, for since the show's inception, where we just kind of go back and revisit the year and pick out some of our favorite conversations and, and hopefully some of yours as well. This year, we got to talk to a lot of cool people. We we got to talk to our first guest, which is Mr. Len Carriou, who is a esteemed actor, Tony Award winning actor. He's been on Blue Bloods on CBS for, for years. Uh, of course, the uh, original um, Sweeney Todd in that play on, on Broadway. And uh, he is now awarded the Order of Canada last week for his uh, contributions to stage and film and everything Canadian. Uh, so we got to talk to him about earlier, I think it was in July or June uh, of this year, obviously, of last year, I guess now. And uh, that's going to be our first conversation that we revisit this episode. There's a lot to get to, so we might as well just kind of kick things off as we always do with a song. So uh, what have you got for us this week, Robert? Well, for everyone with New Year's resolutions. We'll start things off with Cindy Greco and making our dreams come true right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. That was Cindy Greco with Making Our Dreams Come True. During episode 23, which took place the week of June 14th, 2018, we spoke with Mr. Len Cariou as he was set to help announce the Royal Manitoba Theatre Center's Founders Circle program. Mr. Cariou has been involved with RMTC for very many years. He's a Tony Award winning actor on the stage, on Broadway, on the big screen. Uh, He began his career back in Winnipeg, way back in 1959 on Rainbow Stage. He was actually born in St. Boniface and has a really deep connection to the roots of Winnipeg and to Manitoba. And as I mentioned before the break, uh, he was recently awarded the Order of Canada for his cultural contributions on and off stage. We were able to sit down for a one-on-one conversation with Mr. Cariou and talked about his his illustrious career, uh, talked about a little bit about the theater scene here in Winnipeg, as well as any advice that he would have for young up-and-coming performers. So if you're a young actor, take a listen to this conversation. Here are a few highlights from our conversation with Mr. Len Cariou. For our listeners who may not know, what's what's your connection with RMTC and with Winnipeg in general? Well, I was born and raised here, and uh, I was a founding member of uh, the Manitoba Theatre Centre when John Hirsch started the theatre, and so it's, uh, it's a huge thing in my life. He became my mentor, John did, and, um, and I owe him a great deal, and MTC a great deal, because I, I worked here, uh, between here and Stratford, Ontario, for... Uh, well, I think John and I did 17 plays together. How have you seen the uh, the scene in Ma- in Winnipeg and Manitoba evolve over the years since back in 59 or whenever you got your start? Well, uh, I haven't been here, you know, all that, that often, but, but every time I, I come back, Stephen Shepard keeps me apprised of what's going on here. I, I've realized that the thing that's most, I think, wonderful is that the consistency with which people have supported this theater. You know, the size of the city being what it is, I think is one of the most remarkable achievements um, culturally in the in this country. And John, when he first got here and said, you know, we've got to start a theater because he said, you have the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Why don't you have a professional theater? And uh, they had a good amateur theater, but uh, so it was something that, that I was aware of when when they came to me and said, would you be the honorary chair? Um, And I jumped at the chance uh, because I had some credentials now that I could present to uh, people here that maybe didn't know me when I was growing up here and and making my bones, as they say, Um, because I had some credibility because of film and television uh, and... and, uh, and I still have a lot of family here, so uh, there's a great tie here for me emotionally, too. Let's talk a little bit about the support that Winnipeggers show for our MTC and for the arts in general. What does that make you feel like when you can come back and see like the 60 um, legacy members already joining up and, and, and projects and campaigns like this getting so much support so quickly? How does that make you feel? Incredibly proud of the people and, and, and really proud of because I was part of the first tour that went out of here, uh, out of M- MTC when we were in the old Dominion Theater. I'm, I'm kind of humbled by it, the fact that, and proud, proud, because we kind of laid the groundwork for it. And when, when we were, you know, when we were doing the initial 
10 years of, of MTC. Um, and it gave such credibility to this place. And, uh, and you know, Hirsch was one of the best directors that I've ever worked with. And I've worked with some pretty good ones. Um, and he, he just uh, brought this thing to life. If you could distill down one piece of advice to the next generation of, of actors and, and performers, what would you say? Well, make sure it's burning a hole in your gut. Because if it isn't, you're going to be very disappointed because you're going to get more rejections than you're going to get acceptance. So it's something that has been age-old from day one, I guess. Uh, certainly all my life, I'm pretty much still auditioning for things. And you would think the time had come that that, uh, that they might say, yeah, well, I think he could do that. Uh, but uh, you'd be surprised uh, and I just, it's something that's there for the next generation to, to uh, take advantage of. Um, and hopefully it takes the cream of the crop to know that about this place and say, I want to go to Royal MTC and be in that company and work on that stage with that audience. Because this audience is a really smart audience by now. I mean, we all kind of grew up together. Uh, and after the first six or seven years here, the the base just got wider and wider. And I think now it's, I mean, you know, there's over 17,000 season ticket holders. I think in just this theater. And then there's the warehouse. Um, you know, so that's that's a pretty astounding thing when there's not a million people living in this city. I think the level of sophistication and understanding for the theater has just evolved exponentially over the last few years especially um yeah is there anything else you wanted to add really appreciate your time well just uh, uh i think what what uh, stephen shipper has done here is uh close to miraculous um and he's leaving and well, he's been here a long time and i think he wants a change he just needs to feel feels that he wants to change up the game a bit for himself uh, and get some challenges for him. Uh, but he's done an extraordinary uh, job here. And uh, my God, he made it the Royal MTC, uh, which uh, I have to have a private giggle every time I say it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Mr. Len Carriou, Honorary Chair of the Legacy Giving Campaign Committee here at RMTC. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much, Nolan. Next up, we'll learn more about the Wall-to-Wall Festival, which took place in September. The festival is well known for beautiful murals that you can find all throughout the inner city, as well as events that are taking place throughout the month of September, incorporating visual arts and music. Earlier this year, Youth Ambassadors Osani Balkaran and Kenneth Castillo joined us on the program as the festival was wrapping up its fifth year to tell us a little bit more about the festival and their experiences in participating. But first, here's Rose Cousins with Celebrate, right here on River City 360. Well, hook me up and call me fish bait. You threw your line, I didn't hesitate I was looking for a clean slate Ways to uncomplicate my love And then you took me on our first, first date We started early and we stayed a 
City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by two very special guests. We've got uh, two of the youth ambassadors for the wall-to-wall festival, Osani Belkran and Kenneth Castillo. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, So the wall-to-wall festival has been happening all September long. How did you guys get involved with this? Where did you you get connected? Oh, well, we first started out at Studio 393. We were two youths attending the program. Kenneth and me were in a rap group when we were 11 called Hemisphere Commission. How old are you guys now? I'm 19. I'm 20. Rapping for nearly a decade. You guys are old OGs. Actually, I'm retired. Oh, you're retired? (laughs) I make an annual appearance every year. He hit his peak. (laughs) Good to hear. on the wall-to-wall festival, he makes his appearance. Very nice. Oh, nice. Cool. For our listeners who don't know what Studio 393 is, give us a breakdown of what happens there. Studio 393 is an outlet program of Graffiti Gallery. It's a youth drop-in center. Open Monday, Friday, 4 to 8 p.m. Graffiti Gallery's mandates to sort of work with all the elements of hip-hop. So at Studio 393, we work with a lot of, like, I'm part of the rap program there, so I teach how to produce and how to rap and a little bit about, like, I know a little bit about DJing, so I'm trying to learn that right now. And then on the other side, there's Kenneth. and Yeah, so on the other side, uh, there's the dance section. Right. Uh, so I'm a break dancer there. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the youth will come in, and, and I'll volunteer and help out and teach them some dancing and stuff. Yeah. What, what is it about those particular art artistic expressions that the youth connect with so well? What do you, why do you think rap and dance and DJing and hip-hop is such a good fit for kids these days? For me, it was definitely like an identity, and mm-hmm. like I grew up listening to hip-hop, and most of the youth that come through are already hip-hop fans, and they've been listening to hip-hop for a while, so I think it's kind of like an identity, and it gives them a solid outlet to to express anger and to express their emotions rather than... In a positive way. In a positive way, yeah, exactly, cool. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cathartic. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, hip-hop... I think also the thing about hip-hop is that it's really cool and it's yeah. really neat to make and it's not super expensive. No. But also if you look at like sort of the communities that make hip-hop, it's always been people that have felt like they've been marginalized and whatnot. So making hip-hop, it's a way of 
feeling like you've been heard and mm-hmm. it's a way of mm-hmm. still like when I listen to hip hop I'm always going to work or I'm always it's been like a tough day and I just need to keep going I need that last thread or need to keep like walking on that string it can do so much to yeah. change your mood right yeah, or to motivate you it's a beacon of hope it's a good mind state it's all well about said. the mind state <laughs> For sure. So let's talk about the wall-to-wall culture and art festival happening. What sorts of things happen throughout the city if no one's ever heard of wall-to-wall before? What's happening? It's Synonym Art Collective. So they're a collective of a bunch of of artists uh, in music and in uh, painting, in uh, performance art. So what happens during wall-to-wall festival throughout the month of September is we showcase all of these different forms of art from dancing to performance art and we have the murals being painted on Main Street and around the city. So that's what Wall to Wall Festival is. It's a time to showcase art. I understand, uh, Kenneth, you worked on one of the star blankets as well. Tell me about that experience. What was that like? For for me to do that, uh, to be a part of that, was was amazing. It was just, it was really cool to be doing it on the street mm-hmm. and um, at uh, that street level, eh? like you're level. right with yeah. everybody. And back to the point about what makes this festival so good for the city. I have a story where uh, I was painting on the side of the street, and so many people that were part of the neighborhood they're just coming up and they're so excited, like, oh my goodness, like what is this? What are you guys doing? What is this for? And there was just so much excitement in there, and and it really seemed like they're actually like generally happy for that we were doing that and for the neighborhood, and it was just a good experience to be with that many talented people to be helping out, even though I was like a very small part of the big machine, right? It felt good to to just help out. Well, it feels good to be a part of something with such a positive effect on the city, right? Like you're doing, you're doing good boys. (laughs) Good work. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, Oh, I didn't even know people were making murals in the city. Where would you recommend they go? Because there's one at the forks in the, what's it called? Parking garage, parkade, right? So where else are there murals that are taking place in the city right now? I would say walk down from Maine and just keep walking down by that hotel and then go up to Sutherland and then go to the public safety building. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot there. Just walk down Maine, you'll see. <laughs> nice. There's also uh, some on Broadway that you guys can check out. I know that Synonym did one across the street from the Hunter and Gun. Oh, cool. Uh, they did Main Street. Yeah. I think it's, it's basically get out and walk the city, out, right? Walk, get yeah, out yeah. and walk Winnipeg. Also, you can follow Synonym on Instagram. I know that they post all the locations and stuff on their Instagram. Cool. So, so do you guys have the addresses for that off the top of your head? Uh, Synonym? Synonym Art Consulting, if you just look that up. Yeah, yeah Synonym that's Art Consultation. Art yeah. Consultation, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah. boys, thank you very much for talking to us today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy this weekend. Enjoy the fruits of your labor after the after the month of Wall-to-Wall Festival kicks off and, and finishes up at the, end of, uh, in, at the end of this month. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks. Kenneth Castillo and Osani Balcran are two youth ambassadors for the Wall-to-Wall Festival. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again to Kenneth Castillo and Osani Balkaran for speaking with us earlier in the year. Coming up next, we're going to bring you another story from our September 27th episode about the Harvest Garden at Winnipeg Harvest and how it works and how you can volunteer for the upcoming harvest season. But first, here's Henry Cuesta with Rose Garden right here on RC360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm on location at Winnipeg Harvest in their garden, speaking with Morag Mor- Mo Morrison, Morag Morrison, the Community Garden Associate here at Winnipeg Harvest. Mo, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So thank you also for allowing us to uh, work here in the garden today. We volunteered for about an hour in the garden. And uh, I guess my first question is, how much work here is done by volunteers? The vast majority of it. So we have people who are coming in throughout the season, just individual volunteers, and then quite often we have school groups or we have corporate groups or we have other groups that come in and do really big kind of project days with us throughout the season. What's it like when kids are coming through here and playing in the garden and helping you out? It's really fun. We have a really awesome program through Louis Rail School Division called Partnership for Change. So they come to harvest throughout the school year and then in the spring they actually plant seeds. They bring them back to their classrooms, take care of them, and then they come back in early June and transplant them into our garden here. So those days are busy but very, very fun. How important is it to start kids at a young age understanding how food is made and where it comes from and and what goes into healthy food? I think it's super important. We're unfortunately pretty disconnected from our food systems because a lot of our food isn't grown in the city. We don't get to see it happening. So a lot of people don't actually know really where their food comes from or how it's growing or what it even really looks like while it's growing. So it's, in my opinion, very, very important that people are seeing that and getting really hands-on with it. How long has this garden area been uh, part of Winnipeg Harvest and sort of what, what is its role when it comes to the sort of overall Winnipeg Harvest uh, mission? So we started gardening at Winnipeg Harvest over 10 years ago, but the garden in this capacity has only existed for the last three or four years. There's been a lot of expansion with it. Um, What's the role? Like, what, what, do, what is the, all the food here for and where does it go and, and what percentage of the food is grown versus donated and stuff? So everything that's grown here in the garden goes back into Winnipeg Harvest. So the majority of the food that I've grown this year has gone back into our community kitchen, which feeds all the volunteers every day. And then anything surplus of that has gone into our emergency food bank room. I can't say for sure what the exact percentage is. It is honestly fairly small because we get a lot, we get millions of pounds of food donated every year and we don't grow that here. (laughs) What are some of the challenges of the garden Um, being in Winnipeg? It's a very temperate sort of climate. Um, what are some of the challenges that you that you have in gardening here in Winnipeg? Uh, we have a fairly short growing season. We're what's known as zone three. So there's a lot of plants that we can't grow here. Because we have a greenhouse, we are ex- able to expand the season on some of our potted plants, which is really nice. But we just run into kind of, we're limited in what we can grow here. But we also do have a really wide variety of plants from all over the world because we can expand the growing season a little bit. What are some of the ideas that you have for for expanding or increasing or improving the garden that isn't currently in place? I would really like to offer kind of more workshops in terms of growing in small spaces and making sure that people can kind of take knowledge away to start their own community gardens or their own personal gardens. And in terms of expansion, we actually do actually have some more land that isn't expanded on yet. So we are hoping to maybe remediate the soil at some point. That's going to be a pretty big project, but I would really like to see some more in-ground planting. Right now, everything is in raised beds, but I would love to see things like orchards, community orchards, and uh, more medicine gardens, things like that. If someone enjoys gardening and maybe is retired or wants to just help out and and volunteer here, how can they get involved? So they can contact our volunteer service department and go through the process of the application and the orientation and then they're definitely welcome in the garden. Uh, We welcome everyone. We have raised beds so we're also an accessible garden for folks with disabilities as well and something that I really like is a lot of the people who come to volunteer in the garden have actually never gardened before so it's a really great place to learn if it's something you're interested in learning about as well. So all ages, all skill levels of gardening, everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome, yeah.
And that's winnipegharvest.org. Org. Awesome. Winnipegharvest.org for all the information to volunteer here at Winnipeg Harvest. They're always accepting people. Mo, thank you for talking to us today about the garden and about Winnipeg Harvest. Thank you for having me and thanks for volunteering. Thanks, Nolan. Next up on RC360, the Manitoba Philanthropy Awards take place each year on National Philanthropy Day, celebrating a variety of Manitobans who have made a difference through giving, volunteering, and their work with the charitable sector. The 2018 recipient of the Manitoba Philanthropy Award for Outstanding Fundraising Professional was Joan Blight, and she joined us to talk about the distinction, as well as the importance of giving back to our community. Before we get to that conversation, though, here is Ben Selvin with Happy Days Are Here Again, right here on River City 360. Happy days are here again, the skies above are clear again. Let us sing a song of cheer again, happy days are here again. River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio by Joan Blight. She is the president and managing consultant and founder of Strategic Philanthropy, and she's also an award winner for the Outstanding Professional Fundraiser from the Manitoba Philanthropy Awards. Joan, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So you have helped hundreds of organizations across Manitoba, Canada, and the States with philanthropy and, and with a strategic approach to it. So I guess my first question is, where does your drive come from? Like, where do you find the inspiration to, uh, to support all these organizations with philanthropy? Well, my inspiration is from seeing the difference that's made in communities, about getting people involved, engaged, uh, you know, whether it's in being serving as a volunteer, whether it's giving, and it is about making a difference. Seeing that impact, I guess, is what totally inspires you for totally. sure. So you've worked in, I read, Calgary, Toronto, Winnipeg. Now, what are some of the differences between Manitoba-based giving and sort of out east or out west or even down south or anywhere? What, what, how does Manitoba differ from different parts of the country or the world? Well, my sense is that giving in Manitoba is more broad-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that, I think, reflects the economy here because we are so diversified as an economy as in that sense. But also, it's a pretty small uh, town by comparison, right. a small city, and people know one another. And in terms of leadership, uh, I think in some respects, it's easier to engage leadership here mm-hmm. in just because of 
the size of community. They're just more accessible, right? They are more yeah. accessible. Yeah. Um, but there were also, I was in those cities a long time ago, and there were some major differences. When I went to Calgary, it was at the time of an oil turndown, and so people were very concerned about raising funds. Oh. In fact, they had set the United Way goal lower than it had been the previ- than what they'd raised the previous year. Just because of how the economy was They were downturn? concerned, okay. and I said, there is no way. So I started on July 1st, and I said, we cannot go out to the community asking for less money than was raised last year because right. the needs aren't, you know. Yeah, the needs aren't changing no. or going down, for and sure. And so I demonstrated through analysis um, that, in fact, we could raise what was needed. So they agreed by the end of the summer, the Cabinet, to set the goal at the same amount as had been raised and we exceeded that. So we talked a little bit about trends, but what are some of the trends that you're kind of seeing in the charitable sector these days when it comes to maybe millennials or when it comes to the senior population? Like, where do you see things kind of shifting? Well, a big concern is that the number of donors is decreasing, but giving right. is increasing, meaning fewer people are giving more. Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of trend you ever want to see, right? right? But the the reality now is that there are so many other things to give to. And I think millennials do want to be involved, and, and I believe they give. But if you look at other opportunities just for GoFundMe pages, right? you know, for different causes that are not necessarily charitable, whatever, right. but still very worthy... I think there's lots of giving going on, but it doesn't get counted in terms of right. the kind of, uh, in terms of what what's counted in the reports that uh, I read around the research and giving. So how does that affect your work if you if you know that there's giving that's happening, but it's not included in the sort of statistics? Like how do you uh, how do you adjust your what you're doing? Uh, still, in my view, this the, the very best uh, advice you can give to any organization is to strive for excellence and do the very best that they can in providing the services and programs because that's what ultimately... And the people will sells. find you. If you build it, they will come, right? Well, to a degree. I mean, you have to... There, There's multi-channel giving now, you know. But most of the organizations, which are smaller, are not equipped to do all those kinds of things. And so they need to select what they can do and to do it well. And that's always my advice is to, to start small, but do what you're doing very well. Right. And then expand. It's far worse to go broad and not do it well. Right. Try to be everything to all people. Yeah. And then, yeah, you end up not being anything to anyone. Yeah. You have won the Outstanding Professional Fundraiser Award. What, how did you feel when you first heard that this was going to be a, a distinction that you'd be gaining? Well, I was stunned at first when I was asked, uh, if I, first of all, if I could let my name stand. And uh, it just truly is an honor. I, I was very pleased. I know it's the outstanding fundraiser of 2018, but for me, it's a lifetime achievement. Sure. I mean, 40 <laughs> years plus, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I think it's, as I say, I feel very honored. Well, congratulations on the award. Joan Blight, President and Managing Consultant with Strategic Philanthropy. If you go to strategicphilanthropy.ca, you can find out more information there and she can help you out with anything you could possibly need when in the world of philanthropy. Joan, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for this opportunity. Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today, we're heading out to Austin, Manitoba, where we visited the Manitoba Agricultural Museum. Let's go.
I'm now joined by Anais Bernat. She is the executive director and curator of the Agricultural Museum. Anais, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Give us a little bit of background about the Manitoba Agricultural Museum. So the Manitoba Agricultural Museum is born from the dream of passionate people, basically. So it was born in uh, the 50s, in 1951, from a group of people that loved agricultural machinery and equipment. And they could see it was getting sold, it was getting broken into pieces and uh, sold to the US or other parts of Canada. And the goal was really to keep those machines in Manitoba, especially the ones that were Manitoba made, and use them. So part of the fun was to actually gather and use the machines together with your friends. And that's something that is very much still here in the museum today. So we're now at the Centennial Building, and one of the bigger attractions here at the museum, Big Roy. Tell us a little bit about Big Roy, the tractor that we're seeing here. Big Roy first is huge. That's why it's named this way. <laughs> and it also has a power of attraction because it's a unique one. It's a, it's a, it was meant as a prototype and it has never been put into production. So because of that, we are the only ones that have a big Roy because there is only one big Roy. It's also versatile, so it's a Manitoba company. So that's pretty cool to have it here with us and showcase Manitoba knowledge and skills. So yeah, it was created as a prototype, the idea was to put it in pro into production at the end of the 70s, but it's pretty big and it requires quite a lot of gas. So after creating it, they realized that it might not be the best seller because of the price point and then the price to just run it on a regular basis. So then it was uh, donated to uh, the museum later on and we're pretty proud to have it here. We have visitors from all around the world that ask us to see Big Roy here. If any of our listeners want to come down and check out all the cool things that this museum has to offer, how can they visit? How can they get in contact? Yeah, so you can come every day. We are open from 9 to 5 for the summer season, so until the end of September, and after that our hours are a bit more limited. We have a campground as well, so you can even spend the night here before or after your visit if you want. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Anais, for the wonderful tour of the Agricultural Museum. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, did you know that the Bowler trailer is a made-in-Winnipeg invention? This iconic trailer celebrated its 50th anniversary in 2018, and a celebration in August saw hundreds of trailers making their way to Winnipeg. We spoke with organizer and bowler enthusiast Ian Giles to learn more, and we'll have our conversation with him after our next musical break. Robert, what have you got for us? Well, seeing as how it's now 2019, here is a New Year's classic. It's Bing Crosby with Auld Lang Syne right here on River City 360. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be Oh, 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Ian Giles. He is the organizer of the Bowler 50th anniversary event. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Robert. So first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about the Bowler trailers themselves. They're very recognizable, very iconic trailers. Tell us a little bit about the history of the Bowler, because there's also a Winnipeg connection, and that's the reason for this event. That's that's right. There's a complete Winnipeg connection here. The, the Bowler was actually first introduced in Winnipeg and designed by a fellow by the name of Ray Oleko. Most people are aware of them, the little rounded, uh, tiny little trailers. But not all, they're unique for several reasons. First of all, they're made of, uh, of fiberglass. And these aren't just sheet fiberglass. It's actually molded fiberglass. So kind of think of it as two bathtub halves being joined together to form a seamless structure. So one huge advantage of these trailers is they don't have seams that leak. The only uh, areas that you get leakage in them is around the windows eventually uh, the, the weather stripping deteriorates and needs replacing. But because most of them don't have any wood involved with them at all, there's really nothing to, uh, to rot or deteriorate. So this is one reason you see so many on the road still. Uh, they were made from 1968 to 1988 in a variety of plants, including uh, two locations in Winnipeg, one on Higgins and one on Dufferin, and as well as in Ontario, in Alberta, and British Columbia. What are some other features that, um, that are characteristic of a bowler trailer? First and foremost, they're, they're extremely light. The loaded weight of a bowler, which, by the way, will sleep a family of four. It's cozy, but it will sleep a family of four. They weigh about 14 to 1,500 pounds on average. Some people will try to advertise them for less, but I'm being realistic that they're around the 1,500-pound range. Inside of them, there is a dinette at the back that converts into a double bed. On the side, there is a kitchen, which uh, includes a two-burner stove with a sink. And on the front, there's a couch that converts into bunk beds for the kids, along with a, a closet. So they are, they're cozy, quite often referred to as a fiberglass egg, or a, uh, I refer to them quite often as a bed in a box. But, I mean, the, the longevity of them is, is a huge factor. The vintage look and uh, appeal of them is really, really popular right now. And Bowler really started the whole manufacturing process in North America to make molded fiberglass trailers. And over the years, uh, it's over 40 different manufacturers have been involved in making uh, molded fiberglass trailers. 
And even today, I believe there's still 14 companies that make trailers in a similar fashion to the way Bowler was first made. Now, uh, as we mentioned, the Bowler 50th anniversary is happening. It's actually on now. Uh, It started yesterday for Bowler owners that are coming down to Winnipeg, uh, happening at Red River Exhibition Park. How many bowlers are going to be in Winnipeg this weekend, and where is everybody coming from? We have over 450 trailers coming from all over North America. They're coming from the Canadian coast to coast. We have uh, a couple coming from um, Newfoundland, quite a few, a large group coming from Vancouver Island. We have an owner coming from Yellowknife, and all 10 provinces uh, are represented, as well as, I believe the last count was 23 U.S. states there's people coming up from. So, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to see lots of these little trailers tootling around town and that on their way here. We have six caravans coming into the event. So yesterday they arrived. Uh, So that's what all those trailers were. So we've got great representation. Out of that over 450 uh, trailers coming, over 70% of those are actual original bowlers ranging from the 1968 right up to 1988 versions. An event like this, of course, has been a huge undertaking. Couldn't have done it without some key volunteers. So I want to do a shout-out to Rick Moyman, who's my co-host for the event, Uh, Linda Warner, who has organized all of the caravans, and Don Marcotte, who has looked after a phenomenal entertainment schedule during the event. So if any of our listeners want to learn more about the event or or learn a little bit more about the history of the bowler, where can they go to get more information? The event website is mybowler.com. So that is M-Y-B-O-L-E-R.com. And I also run two websites kind of dedicated to bowler owners to try to help them with any problems and and repairs and that, and those ones are bowler.ca and bowler-camping.com. Ian, thank you so much again for speaking with us today about the bowler anniversary and uh, and about bowlers in general. Well, thank you very much for having me on, Robert. Really appreciate it. Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to St. Pierre Jolie, Manitoba, where we visited the St. Pierre Jolie Museum. Let's go. Uh, my name is Roland Gagné. I'm fourth generation St. Pierre Jolie. I'm a volunteer here at the St. Pierre Jolie Museum, and right now I'm holding the spot of president but I'm sure somebody will be taking it soon. So Roland just maybe describe for us uh, we just kind of went on a tour of the St. Pierre Jolie Museum and grounds and just describe what people can expect to find when they when they first come here. Well first of all is that St. Pierre Jolie and the Salberry municipality this is the grounds of the Métis for wintering and it's the Rat River Métis that uh, that established themselves here and that's how St. Pierre Jolie became into existence as well as the parish of St. Malo and the small communities of Otterburn, Cary, Dufras, etc. 
and you just kind of took us for a tour through the Sugar Shack and everything. That's probably what people would most recognize if they go to Festival du Voyageur. Tell us how that all got started about 30 years ago. Sure. Well, first of all, a lot of people didn't know that the Sugar Shack at the Festival du Voyageur during the winter is, belongs to the uh, to the Museum of St. pierre Jolie. Way back when, 30 years ago, is that um, the theme to try to pay off the mortgage was that let's get a traditional Quebec sugaring off festival happening to try to raise money to pay off the mortgage. And then we were invited to the Festival du Voyageur, and that's how it all started. This is kind of a, a, a very important part of Manitoba's origin, original settlement and everything like that. Why is it important to keep those stories alive as you uh, kind of tell these stories as you as you walk through the grounds here? It's um, Nowadays, it's just too easy to forget, like, where are we from and why are we here in, on this land in Winnipeg and in Manitoba? The Métis, of course, wouldn't have been able to survive without the Aboriginals. So if you take a look at the partnership that they had you know, with uh, Fort uh, Douglas and uh, Fort uh, the Northwest Company, is that without the help of the local people back then and their generosity, we would have never have been able to live on this land. And for here on the Rat River, which was the wintering grounds for the Métis from St. Norbert, St. Boniface, and St. Vital, it was a spot of uh, beauty and abundance, not only in animals for food, but also for uh, woods, etc., and uh, it's important to keep that history alive. Roland, thank you very much for uh, joining us today and taking us on its tour and everything that you've uh, taught us today about St. Pierre Jolie. Well, thank you so much for coming to visit us. Thanks, Nolan. Next up, we'll revisit our conversation with Dr. James Duncan of Discover Owls and learn more about his work in education and conservation. Before we get to that, though, here is Kay Kaiser and his orchestra with The Wise Old Owl, right here on River City 360. When the wise old owl in the old oak tree says, old Sully Mason. Tell him about the owl, boy. When we strolled through the moonlight, you said I love you. But the wise old owl in the old oak tree says, who, who, who? You said I was that someone that you sing those love songs to. But the wise old owl, as he winked his eye, just says, who, who, who? Though I never thought that you'd say goodbye, that old bird must have known. Honey, that tonight he and I would be under that moon alone. Maybe I'll find a new love, that's what I should do. But the wise old owl in the old oak tree just says, who, 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 who?
better tell them again. But the wise old owl in the old oak tree just says, who, who, Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via telephone by a very special guest. Uh, we have Dr. James Duncan. He's the founder of Discover Owls, which is a group focused on education, conservation, and research on owls here in Manitoba. Dr. Duncan, thank you for joining us. Hi, Nolan. So my first question is, you are the owl expert, but why, why owls? Why did you decide to devote your life to uh, this beautiful creature? Well, you know, over 30 years ago, um, when I was looking for research to do on uh, wildlife, I was examining the literature and uh, I felt like owls were very underrepresented or we knew very little about them. And so I thought, well, here's an opportunity to uh, study an interesting kind of wildlife and also one that's a little challenging because a lot of owls are active at night and one that a lot of people haven't studied, uh, hadn't studied at that point. And so... It just seemed like a really neat opportunity to, to push the boundaries of our knowledge. So you started Discover Owls, and you've been researching great gray owls and other owls for over 30 years. You're obviously an expert in the, in the subject. What's something for the average person when it comes to education and conservation that you would like just the general populace to know about the great grays or about owls in general? Well, I, st- I also start off with uh, a bit of a, a romp through the forest and bogs uh, and ha- habitats of Manitoba, and I take people on a journey uh, through a very short video I put together, and we visit four kinds of owls uh, and their nests in Manitoba. And the key points there are, you know, two of the four species that I selected uh, require pristine wild habitats that need our protection. And two of the species that I feature actually are very well adapted to human-altered landscapes, so they sometimes nest right in their own backyards yet we aren't always aware that they're there because they're so cryptic, uh, well-camouflaged, secretive. And uh, so it's quite a surprise for people to find out that uh, owls are right on their doorstep. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about Oscar, which is a live great gray owl. What's what's her story? Sure. She was a, a young bird in a nest in 2017, and that year there was a, uh, a natural uh, drop in the prey population and so all of the nests that were active that year didn't produce young uh, they failed between the egg and the nestling stage and that's kind of a cyclic natural pattern that happens every now and then so there was one nest that uh, the adults managed to pull off uh, raising one large chick and something happened to the middle uh, chick we're not sure if it died or if it was eaten and then Oscar was the third one and the smallest one and uh, it was clear that she was on her way out that she was likely going to be lunch for her older sibling and normally we let that take place but uh, in this circumstance we obtained a permit to uh, rescue that chick and raise her in captivity for both research and education and so it's quite something to, uh, you know, stand even within a couple of feet of a live great gray owl that's quite custom to people. Uh, well, I've had people describe it as, you know, she just has a way of looking right into your eyes and right into your soul. And you can't help but feel like you're so close to something just wild. And it's quite inspirational, I think, for people. Very I cool. certainly never get tired of it myself. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, that, and that's a rare experience for people, right? You don't often get to come face to face and nose to nose with a great gray owl. Yeah, so it's she's uh, quite. I think people will remember her long after they forget me because <laughs> she's so <laughs> memorable. But uh, it's quite quite neat. And Very cool. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's also to try to get people hooked a little more on um, having an interest in wildlife, and you know we tend to take care of the things we love, and so. Owls are a great introduction to nature for a lot of children or even people who may not have experienced nature a lot. For sure. Well, before I let you go, before we started recording, I understand that you are capable of uh, some actual owl, I don't know if they're mating calls or just regular calls, so I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you to give give our listeners just a a little example of of an owl call that you can do. Sure. Well, first off, uh, just briefly, no... A lot of people know owls to say who, who. And uh, so, but the interesting thing is not all owls go who. So our smallest owl in Manitoba is the northern sawwet owl. And it has a, uh, it's named after the song it makes. So sawwet, yeah, you know what a saw is. And wet is W-H-E-T, which is an old English word. Like a whetstone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And so it makes a sound like, uh, like this. Some people have likened it to a garbage truck backing. Very rhythmic, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it's more of a whistle. And then um, there's one uh, species in Manitoba that's called the barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D, and it's uh, one of the only owls we have here regularly with dark eyes. But it's also known as the monkey owl because it's got this very uh, strange caterwauling-type call. It kind of goes like, Yeah, if I heard that, if I was camping in the woods, I don't know how I would respond. (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing those. Those are very interesting. So, Dr. Duncan, thank you very much for talking to us today, and we really appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Noel. That's a wrap on Season 4 of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and thank you for tuning in all year long. We really appreciate your time and everyone who joined us for conversations this year. And of course, if you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes or subscribe to the podcast. You can visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the program. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. That's our listener line, and it's open 24-7. You can also find us on all social media platforms by searching for at WPGFDN for all your River City 360 news on Twitter, and by going to Facebook and searching for the Winnipeg Foundation, you can find us there as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening to the program this past year. And we hope you have a great day and a wonderful new year.